Wonderful. Good morning, everybody. What beautiful people. Tell the person next to you, it's good to be sat next to you. Beautiful. Go on. If you're single, it might get you somewhere. You never know. You never know. Hey, it's wonderful to be here with you. I married a girl from the Midlands. Come on. She's a beauty. So I used to drive past your church four times a week while we were dating. Up and down from Hull. It was exhausting, but worth it. Oh, God's so good. Amen. He loves you. Amen. Wonderful. Um, I've got a few things to share with you. I, I believe I've got a bit of a word from God for you, and I'm going to share that with you. Is that okay? And, uh, and then we're going to ask the worship team to come back in about three hours' time when I'm finished. And, uh, and we're just going to ask God's presence and God's power to go with us into 2017. Amen. Uh, God is our shepherd. And whether you're walking in green pastures and enjoying flowing still rivers and waters, or whether you're going through the valley of the shadow of death, he's still with you. Amen. And, uh, and so I just want to encourage you and hopefully leave you inspired and encouraged by the end of the day. I've got a few things, uh, a few uh, books and CDs out the back. Um, I, I wrote the song, King of Kings Majesty. Have you ever heard of it? Right. People think I only wrote one song. Now listen, I've got to prove to you that I wrote more than one song. And there's, there's some albums to prove it now. But my passion really, more than music, my passion is the presence of God. If God's presence came because of juggling, I'd be a juggler, not a musician, okay? But God's presence often seems to hang around, if you read the Bible, music and worship and the adoration of God in song. And uh, what I've found through writing is that the presence of God can be carried on a song. I remember once being on radio in South Africa, and the DJ said to me, he said, I had a phone call. He said, well, actually, we used to start every radio program with the song King of King's Majesty. In, in South Africa, and, and we stopped playing that at the beginning of the program after two years, and I had a phone call, the DJ said, and this woman said on the other end of the line, thank God you've stopped singing that song, <laughs> playing that song, I mean, and I, I was about to get insulted, but he said, no, you need to hear the story. She would be driving to work early in the morning as the radio program started. And as the song began to play, the presence of God would flood her car. She'd have to pull over to the side of the road, sit in tears as the presence and glory of God hit her car, come to the end of the song, wipe her eyes, and then drive to work and arrive late. She said, thank goodness you've stopped playing it. I can arrive to work on time for the first time in two years. Who knows that sometimes... Heaven can be carried on things. Let's, let's expect heaven to be in this room this morning. It's not just a, a, a guest speaker. It's not just us gathering as the church. God is in his house. Amen. In fact, take a moment to recognize that right now. Close your eyes wherever you are for a moment. And recognize there are angels walking in this room right now. There is the oil of the presence of God pouring into this room. There is a bubbling stream of the Holy Spirit bubbling up in every one of your spirits if you've been filled with God's Holy Spirit. Let the bubbling brook of heaven stir in your soul. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God. May you be refreshed this morning in his presence. Amen? Amen. So, so there's, there's, there's albums out there. Anybody want an album? I'll give one away. Anybody want one? Hey, you were first. Come on. Hey, good. Were you playing the piano? Yes. 
good piano playing. I like that. Dun, 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 Cornerstone, love it. We'll play that at the end. Should we do that at the end, Joe? Let's do Cornerstone. I've got a, a book that came out just last year, and I've got an online course that goes with it. Actually, there's 50% off the online course at the moment, which is audios, videos. But listen, here's the main point. Anybody bored of being weak? Weakness is overrated, right? Everybody that keeps going, I'm tired. Can I tell you from the rest of us, you're boring. Everybody that keeps going, but I'm too weak to have a prayer life, too weak to get up in time for church. You know what we all want to say to you? Oh, shut up. Because I've had to learn to say it to myself. Who realizes that dreams and visions and prophecies and hopes are one, and wishes, you know, I want to be an astronaut. Wishes are one thing, but living a strong life in God is another. And I'm going to be sharing some of the truths out of this book with you this morning. Just a few things that I feel God wants me to share with you. But my story, and I'll come into this in a few moments, has been a very tough few years in my life. And God has actually said, okay, prophecy is one thing, but Cooper, get tough. The whole point of the Bible is we all start out weak. Get over it. Let the weak say. That's what it's about. So how do we discover strength in God? And that's what this book and the course that goes with it is all about. Who wants that? Come on, lady. You are, you are quick. She's quick off the mark. Come on. What's your name? Sharon. Bless you. Oh, I love the Midlands accent, baby. She loses her Midlands accent unless she talks to you guys. And then she starts to have that singing accent. I come from Bradmore. It starts to come out again, you know. She's lovely. She challenged me to talk in a Midlands accent this morning. Shall I preach in Midlands? I don't think I could. I'm a Welshman, really. I, I, I should talk like this. The man who went up a hill and came down a mountain, boy, oh, that's what I should really talk like. But I, I lived abroad most of my life. So anyway. Um, then I've got another book that came out. Smith Wigglesworth gave a prophecy about a time when people of the Spirit and people of the Word would come together and there would be an explosion in the church of revival as people that understand prophecy and the movement of God's presence and God's power and what happened at Pentecost and God moving in miracles, signs and wonders came together with people that understand the Word of God and good theology and organization and great leadership. He prophesied there'd be a coming together and if you follow the prophecy, it's in the book, if you follow the prophecy you would know we're living in the era of the people of the spirit and the people of the word coming together and he prophesied and every other part of the prophecy has come true that it would lead to the greatest revival that the world has ever seen eclipsing the Welsh and the Wesleyan revival and there is a move going on right now around the world of word people and word concepts coming together with spirit people and spirit principles and God is beginning to explode around the world and this is really a book for leaders and for people that lead ministries to show how can we pull together in these last days the sense of the word of God and great leadership and the sense of the full power and glory of God's spirit into one place where suddenly there's an explosion in church life. That's the journey that we're on. I'm going to give that to you. Is that all right? Unless you, if you got it, give it away. Um, but uh, bless you. You can have a little look at that. If that interests you or you're a leader, again, there's an online course that goes with that and uh, we'll bless you. If you've got a Bible, turn to Joshua chapter 1. Joshua just moved in my Bible. Come on, come here Joshua. Settle down. It's like when you tell people, turn to the book of Hezekiah and half the room starts turning to try and find it. There is no book of Hezekiah. Oh, oh it's heavier than it looks, mate. Now, Joshua's about to take God's people into the promised land. 
in Joshua 1. And God comes and says several things to him. And this is because posture is important. Would you say that phrase with me? Posture. <coughs> say it louder than that. I'm used to a lot. My, my congregation is, is like half African. They're like, come on, pastor. Hallelujah. Okay, so come on, all of you. And come on, Africans, get that spirit onto those around about you. <laughs> Jesus, preach it, pastor. Right, okay, I'm used to that. Okay, so anyway, listen. Posture. Oh, you're so good. You're on it. Posture is important. It's really important how you internally approach the world. And God is getting Joshua, who's been hiding in the tent of meeting. He's a, he's a great man of God, but a lot of his life has been to be in the place where Moses met with God. And that was his experience. Now he has to become a leader of the people. Moses is dead, and he needs to bring the leader out of Joshua. Solomon, when he became a leader, we all know that he didn't feel he could do it. And he said, God, I need your wisdom. And if you look at it, he says this unusual phrase. He says, I don't know how to go out, and I don't know how to to come in. That's a strange phrase, isn't it? I don't know. What he's saying is, I don't know how to go out to war, and I don't know how to come into your presence. And we need to learn the postures of going out to war and into God's presence as the people of God. We're not just a social club. Come on, somebody growl at me. Right? We're men and women of God. This is the most important organization in this area, the Church of the Living God. We're bringing the hope of the world to people. Science is going to change the world. Government is going to solve all the problems. The answer to the world's ills is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we're his warriors and his ambassadors on the earth. And so God is talking to Joshua as he's about to lead this this nation into their promise. And in Joshua 1 verse 6, you know it well. He says, and he's going to repeat this about four times, a phrase roughly like this, be strong and courageous because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their forefathers to give them. He says it again, God's into repetition. Be strong and very courageous. He says, be careful. Verse 9, he goes on, have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Don't be terrified. Don't be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. I'm here to tell you this morning that we need to adopt a posture for the future that God has for us. I remember uh, 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 a few years ago now being invited to, to sail on a yacht through Greek islands. It's a tough life, isn't it, being a pastor? And there was a group of pastors, a couple of them you might know. I won't mention any names because the story gets a little bit hair-raising. Uh, we, we were out in the Mediterranean, and it came to this one night. We were staying in Little Coves because it's cheaper than booking into marinas and paying all our fees and all that kind of stuff. So one evening, we came into this little cove, and the cove was full of boats already. So the skipper, who looked to me like D'Artagnan from the Three Musketeers, he said, guys, we can't stop here. There's one place I know where we could go, but it's, it's about four hours sail. It's getting late, and it's getting rough. There's a storm brewing. And he said to these six Pentecostal ministers, do you want to do it? Should we go for it? Well, there was anointing around that table, but there was testosterone as well. And we said, come on, let's do it. And we headed out into the high seas, and it got rougher <laughs> and rougher, 
and rougher. Now, I used to work on boats, so I was okay. And there was another mate there that understood what was going on. But slowly, the other guys started to slink away down into the hold where the berths were, where the bedrooms were. And they were going, I'm just going to go downstairs and I'm going to lie on my bed and try and get through the storm. And they, they disappeared down the steps. And I looked at this one guy called Simon and I said, Simon, that's the last place you need to be, isn't it? He says, yeah. Where should we go? And we looked around the boat. Now this boat, it was a, it was a, a yacht with three masts. And you know that you get the three upright masts, then there's a, a mast that sticks out the front called the bowsprit. You know what I'm talking about? Often with a net underneath it at the front of the yacht. And I looked at the front and I looked at Simon and I said, let's tie ourselves to the bowsprit. He said, yeah, come on. So we jumped out into the netting and, and strapped ourselves to the bowsprit. And for four hours, we screamed our way through the storm. Ah! I mean, to be honest, it started out pretty rough. Then it got really rough. So it was kind of, at first it was, oh, this is fun. Oh, praise the Lord, isn't it great? Blah, blah, blah. And then it was, oh, oh, it's getting a bit rough. Oh, then our bums would hit the water. Oh, boom, oh, oh, Jesus. Oh, boom, boom, oh, mummy, anyone, you know, boom. Four hours later, we were hypothermic. We'd screamed and hollered and laughed. But I've got to tell you, it's one of the greatest days of my life to have been on this four-hour journey through this storm, strapped to the bowsprit of a yacht on the high seas. If you come up to me one day, leave it a few weeks, and walk up to me and say, remember the bowsprit story? I'll gloss over a little bit. Oh, yeah. If you talk to one of the pastors that went downstairs, it was an Indian pastor whose name you would know not far from here. My wife used to be at his church. But I won't mention his name. He's a really good friend of mine, and I wouldn't want to give it away and shame him, but I've never seen an Indian man look so green in my life. There was a big black pastor from London. I've never seen a black guy look so white. He wedged himself in the toilet door, and he puked his way across the sea. You go up to them. Go up. Go up. You know his name. Go, next time you see him, hey, do you remember that story of you when Jared was on the boat and you went across the, in this, the sea, in the rough sea? I guarantee a little bit of bile will come back up his throat. He'll turn a bit green again and go, well, that was the worst day of my life. And it, and same journey. Different posture. We're all on the same journey. The posture you take is going to radically affect how you enjoy life and what you get out of it. It's going to radically affect the outcome. When we posture ourselves on the right place, in the place of adventure in God, something incredible can happen. And listen, it's only small changes, not big. I'm here to tell you today, Junction 10, strap yourself to the bowsprit. Live the great adventure. Don't become seasick on God's high seas. Be filled with the sense of adventure and the seasickness tends to go away and there's a strength that can come from God. You get a little fire in your gut and a little fire in your eyes and you begin to sense God is in this journey. But I want to encourage you. I've found in my difficult three years, the last three years, it's little changes that make all the difference. I'm a terrible golfer. I'm, in fact, I'm a really bad golfer. For, for several years, I just hacked around a golf course, usually leaving big, you know, chunks of any good golfers will be ashamed of me. Uh, and then 
uh, for my dad's, I think, 70th, I bought him some golf lessons, and it was, but it was for two, so I bought myself a birthday present. It's great, isn't it? And so we had golf lessons together, and for the first time ever, I had a little bit of coaching and training, and so, so he worked on my dad and got him to do some stuff. Then he came over to me on the driving range and said, okay, show me your swing. And I'm like, oh, no, this is intimidating. I don't show me your swing. There's this coach just looking at me. So I, I stand there with the bat in my hands, not a bat, what you call it, you know, and shows how bad I am. And, and I, I kind of stand there and I take this swing and I'm just glad that number one, I hit it and it went straight and it went straight line. And he's like, okay, okay, not bad. And then he began to manhandle me. And he said, now, just, just give me your stance again. And he said, right, we're going to move your feet to there. We're going to move your knees an inch that. We're going to put your butt there. We're going to get your back to do this. Going to reposition your hands ever so slightly. An inch there, half an inch there, a centimeter there, uh, an inch there. Now take a swing. And I swung again, and the ball went twice as far. I want to encourage you. The devil would love to tell you it's only massive changes that make big differences. The truth is, great big doors swing on little hinges. Small changes release great power in a body of Christ. And I'm speaking to you corporately, I believe, today. And you can just take it and test it. But also in the life of an individual, you only need to make small changes. And great, big, powerful releases of heaven begin to be activated in your life. Usually, the internal posture of how we're facing life changes what goes on in our world. And I want to encourage you as we in our church have gone through some posture and position changes in the last few years. I believe God is calling you as a church too. And I lay it before you as a prophecy to test, to go, right, how are we going to approach the future? I believe God is saying just adjust the position in a few things. Adjust the posture in a few things. Because I believe there is a new sense of power coming to the church. A new sense of propulsion coming to the church. A new sense of uh, promotion coming to the church. And I pray that God will begin to release in lives a new sense of the destiny of God. I don't know about your church journey, but my church journey ain't over. Anybody? 2014 was the worst year of my ministry. Anybody had a year like that? Right, it was dreadful. In, in, our, in our case, it was, it was uh, to do with uh, 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 scandal and suicide and slander and betrayal and disloyalty and lies. I had the worst year of my ministry. And, uh, and y you might find this interesting too. And on a, on a whole other train track that seemed to go side by side. Right now my church is neither in its old building nor in its new one. Anybody know what that feels like? <laughs> right, there you go. So welcome to my club. And out of 2040, and this has all happened over the last three years. Out of this, this period, I've got to be honest with you. I've, I've been through brokenness and grief and anger. Uh, uh, and, and deep sadness, and I've had to work out. See, when we go through a broken season in our lives, first of all, we recoil. There can be anger, but then there's a recoiling inside. There's a, there's a defensiveness, and we, we learn. If you hurt your knee, you start to walk different to make up for the injury, and in the end, you can start to hurt your back because now you're walking different. Anybody know what I mean? When, when a part of you hurts, you try to compensate, but your walk becomes crooked because you're compensating because you're broken and hurting. 
And our church has been through seasons of broken and hurting. And I started to realize we're walking different, we're talking different, we're thinking different. Because we've been through a broken season. I take solace and comfort from the fact that Jesus said, listen, trials and suffering are going to hit you. But let me tell you what God's promise is. Every pain you go through is going to build Christ in you if you fix your eyes on him. And we as a church, in our case, have had to go, right, we are not going to live in a posture of brokenness. Why? Because we're sons of God. We're going we're gonna to go through and we're going to admit and be real about difficult seasons when they come. But I refuse to hide and lose my confidence because of a hard season. And I, as a leader, and in a corporate sense, my church has had to go, we're going to retain and we're going to bring back a posture of confidence because we believe God is leading us on into the future, that the best is yet to come, that God is going to build a building. But more than that, he's going to fulfill his purpose for our family on the earth. Anybody say amen to that for your own place? God's going to do everything he promised to do. And the fact that it requires miracles is exciting. But the fact that God seems to take forever to do things suddenly is annoying. Anybody know what I mean? He seems to take forever. I want to share with you, if I can, if I've got time, three posture changes that I've found we've needed to adopt as a church. And I just felt, as I prayed last night and this morning... God just share, I want you to share this and this and this. And, and I believe it's going to land for some individuals in this room and maybe for you as a church to pray about and walk with God. And, and, and he, so here's what we've gone through and how I believe God wants me to share it with you. Number one, you need to adopt a posture of perseverance. Hebrews 12, run with perseverance. The race marked out for you. Even the race that's marked for you, just because it's your race doesn't make it easy. You've got to run it with perseverance. Listen to this. By perseverance, Spurgeon said, the snail reached the ark. Think on it. I just imagine Turbo. You know, and as, as the antelopes are running past him and the giraffes are running past him, there he is going, right, the ark's all the way over there, another hundred meters. <coughs> <laughs> you know, he's trying to get to the ark. But the snail kept going and survived. By perseverance, the snail reached the ark. Listen to these scriptures, James 1.12. Blessed is the man that endures under trial, for when he's tried, he'll receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to them that love him. 2 Thessalonians 3.13. But you, brothers... Don't be weary in well-doing. Galatians 6, 9. Don't be weary in well-doing for in due season you will reap if you do not faint. Do you know what? There's every possibility on this journey of life together and as individuals to faint. Anybody know what I mean? To give up along the way. Anybody know what I mean? But if we say, no, I am going to persevere. Listen to this quote. Nothing in the world can take the place of persistence. Talent will not. Nothing is more common than unsuccessful men with talent. <laughs> That's a great phrase, isn't it? Genius will not. Unrewarded genius is almost a proverb. In other words, being clever doesn't make your life great. Education will not. The world is full of educated derelicts. Persistence and determination are omnipotent. 
The slogan, press on, has solved them and always solved the problems of the human race. There is something that only persistence can give you. And we've had to preach again and again and again in our church. Keep going. Be strong. Don't stop. Don't give up. Keep going forward. Listen to this. Listen to these series of events. Let's see if you can guess whose life it is. Failed in business at age 22. Ran for legislator and was defeated age 23. Again failed in business age 24. Elected to legislator, yeah, I can't really say that, but anyway, age 25. His sweetheart died age 26. He had a nervous breakdown age 27. He was defeated for speaker age 29. Defeated for elector age 31. Defeated for congress at 34. Elected to congress at 37. Defeated for congress at 39. Defeated for senate at 46. Defeated for vice president at 47. Defeated for senate at 49, elected president of the United States, age 51. That's Abraham Lincoln. Defeat, 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 death, nervous breakdown. But he kept on going. I love this extract from Wesley's diary. It says this, Sunday, May the 5th, preached in St. Anne's, was asked not to come back. (laughs) May the 5th in the evening, preached at St. John's. Deacon said, get out and stay out. The next weekend, May the 12th, preached in St. Jude's. Can't go back there either. The next Sunday morning, preached in St. Somebody Else's. Deacons called a special meeting and said I couldn't return. Sunday, May the 15th, preached on the street. Kicked off the street. May the 26th, preached in a meadow. Chased out of the meadow as the bull was turned loose during the service. June the 2nd, preached at, at the edge of town. Kicked off the highway. June the 2nd. In the afternoon, I preached in a pasture. 10,000 people came out to hear me. That's Wesley's life. I think sometimes we look at lives by headlines and we forget the small print of pain. Wesley, did you ever know that his wife was a bit of a horror? I mean, mean, no wonder he was itinerant. The reason he rode whatever it was, a quarter of a million miles on horseback is he did not want to be at home. She beat him up. I'm, joke, I'm not joking. He, she, he, she beat him up. You see, his, uh, John Wesley's, um, b- by the manner of the day, the woman he was in love with ended up, because she felt she should, marrying another man. She died on her deathbed saying, I love John Wesley a thousand times more than that man. John Wesley ended up marrying this other woman who literally beat him up and chased him around. See, while he was turning the nation upside down, some would say that the Wesleyan revival uh, turned a, a fifth of the nation came to Christ by the ripples of the Wesleyan revival. That's incredible. But did you know he was carrying personal pain the whole time? Wow. Everybody say wow. Say it backwards. Wow. We've got to persevere in life. Um, and it requires flexibility to persevere. Listen to these stories. You know, churches can be the most inflexible places sometimes, can't they? But when you go on a journey like our church has been on, and no doubt like your church has been on, it builds immense strength. You know, a palm is designed so that when it bends in the wind, the roots actually dig deeper and it gets stronger, not weaker. When we're flexible, we're born to have strength. There was a pastor who took on a, a church, and, uh, and uh, it, it was his first church, and it was a, a historic church, and he went in there, and he thought, he saw the organ on that side of the church. He thought, I think it would look better that side of the church. So he moved it that side of the church. And well, it was like World War III had broken out on the Sunday when they did. Oh, you moved the organ. 
My grandmother used to play that organ. My auntie donated that organ. My whatever grandfather used to sit on that organ. Whatever. There was an excuse about everything. Everybody was annoyed that he'd done the sacrosanct thing of moving the organ. So he put it back and he moved it one inch every week. Until about three months later, they said, oh, I always liked it that. So, yeah, it's a much nicer sound coming from that side of the room. Aren't we shallow sometimes? We get gripey and miserable about the smallest things. We're here to change the world, not worry about where the organ is. What organ? Anyway, you know what I'm saying? We need to be flexible. Rick Warren's church, Saddleback, I, I tell my church this on our journeys. Saddleback Church, which has over 30,000 members today, in its first 13 years, was in 79 venues. Let me say it again. And grew to 10,000 members in that time. It was in 79 venues in 13 years, before the days of the internet, when you could tell everybody where you were meeting easily. And they still grew to 10,000 members. Do you know what that does? Makes you immensely strong in God. Sometimes I often think that we just think what we're going through well, but how we've always done things is the norm. I love to tell the story of a church that's a friend of ours in Africa, and the church is so busy that the choir, the only time they can meet is through the night on a Thursday night to practice for the meetings. Who wants to be in that choir? When do you meet? Well, we meet about midnight and we finish about six in the morning, and that's choir practice. Well, it's not quite like that in our worship team. We all equate what we have experienced as being the norm. Come on, let's have a new normal. Let's learn to be a people who have a posture of persevering. I'm not giving up. I'm going to be strong in God. It requires perseverance. Amen? So a posture of perseverance enables us to walk into everything that God has for us. It's part of that. Be bold. Be strong. God's with you. Persevere. Here's my second point. If you've got a Bible, turn to Luke 11. Let me read this scripture to you. Luke 11, 33 to 36, says this. No one lights a lamp and puts it in a place where it will be hidden or under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand so that those who come in may see the light. Your eye is the lamp of your body, but when your eyes are healthy... Your whole body is also full of light. When they're unhealthy, your body's full of darkness. See to it then that the light within you is not darkness. Therefore, if your whole body is full of light and no part of it dark, it will be just as full of light as when a lamp shines its light on you. What it's saying there is your eyes are like lamps that shine into you. And so where you stick your eyes will denote what's inside you. Here's my second posture that I believe we need to adopt. A posture of positivity. Ridiculous positivity. You see, if it's saying here, if your eyes are a lamp that shine into you, well, you don't take a lamp and put it somewhere hidden. You, you pick up the lamp and you put it somewhere where it will shine. We need to pick up the lamp of our eyes Here's what I think, put it in God's presence and let the light of God's presence shine inside of us with all the goodness of heaven. As we change our approach and say, right, I'm going to be positive. Who finds it easy to be negative? I mean, you know, I, I live in the north of England. Tell you a secret. It's quite, quite easy to be downtrodden in the north. Don't tell 
And so to purpose it, no, we're going to build a culture that says God is for us, not against us. He will see us through. He is our shepherd. He that is in us is greater than he that is in the world. I am the head and not the tail. We're children of the living God. He is for us, not against us. If God be for us, who can be against us? When there's a sense of God is with me and for me, with this positivity comes a sense of power. Focus on the good and there's a sense of the power of heaven released. I've got a story from a lady called Amanda. Where have I got it? Here it is. And look at the posture change that takes place in her life. It's an incredible story. Amanda Varty. Anybody heard the story? UCB put out a sheet about it. My name is Amanda. She became ill seriously in the middle of the night with a severe form of ME. The doctors told me there was no cure and that shook me to the core. Bedridden for nine years in the end. Think of it. Bedridden for nine years. My world was four walls of a darkened room. She lost her job, lost her car. And then she begins to talk about the turning point. I like this. I remember listening to Jared Cooper. We have a little show on UCB. Have you ever heard it? And she says this. I remember listening to Jared Cooper saying, Miracles come in response to small acts of obedience. How true that was. After nine years bedridden, God simply said, Go to church. I wasn't physically well enough to go to church, but I knew that if this was God's voice, he would make a way, so I obeyed. I was carried downstairs, lay across the back seat of my friend's car, and lay down across the chairs at church. The moment my husband Steve and I praised God, strength began to come. One day in church, I was prayed for and got out of my wheelchair and began to walk. I walked 100 meters that day. I was able to use a walking frame and God put it on my heart, listen to this, to sign up for a 10 kilometer mini marathon. Can you see a posture change going on inside of her as she starts to listen to God's word instead of listen to her symptoms? It was the biggest step of faith I'd ever taken, but God certainly rewarded me. Halfway round the course, I felt new strength, handed the walking frame to Steve, finished the course without it, and ran over the finish line. That is the moment God completely healed me of M.E. Everybody say, wow. I mean, come on. She changed the internal posture of her heart and suddenly there begins to be this sense of response from heaven. You see, God hasn't called us to live by worry, by stress, by grumbling, by grumpiness. I'm bored of grumpy Christians just like I'm bored of weak ones. Understanding that we're all weak, but I'm like, come on, be, be strong. Come on, let's be strong together. And grumpy Christians, oh, listen, the Bible says, go read Hebrews 11. It's by faith. And faith is a posture change. It's by faith. But the facts are, yeah, but what has God said? It's by faith that the promises are inherited. If we change our internal posture to say, I'm going to walk and I'm going to live by faith, then something incredible can take place inside of us. We need to pick our lamps up, the lamps of the eyes of our heart and say, I'm going to put my eyes in God's presence. I'm going to listen to what God says and I'm going to be filled with a sense of his word and I'm going to walk by faith and I'm going to persevere by faith and I'm going to see him come through for me. Temples and churches and cathedrals are built facing east. Which way are you facing? They're built facing the rising sun, not the setting sun of regrets, but the rising sun of the fact that his mercies are new every morning. What's your default setting internally? Oh, it's not as good as it was. Oh, I'm surrounded at times by Pentecostals that go, ain't not as good as it was. 
And I'm like, you're facing the wrong way. You're walking backwards through life going, if only it was good as it was. Listen, it wasn't as good as it was. Your brain gold embosses the past and removes all the boring periods so you just remember the good bits. It never was as good as it was. Even nostalgia isn't as good as it was. Somebody got that. Thank you. At least one person gets my sense of humor. Which way is your temp? Thank you. I like, you're my friend. I'm going to preach over here because you get me. You're the only person so far that's getting me. Which way is your temple facing? I've realized, come on, Cooper, face the light. Don't live in your brokenness. Face the light. His mercies are new every morning. I, I'm going to make sure every time that negativity comes, I'm going to talk to myself, Cooper, face the light. Stop dwelling on the past. Stop picking up the scabs of old wounds. Face the light and say, God is for me. The best is yet to come. He is for me, not against me. I remember once having a dream, and in the dream I was on a balcony, and stood next to me on this balcony was Jesus, and he held a little leaf in his hand, and he just said this to me, this is your life. And I'm looking at this leaf going, okay. And then it's like it, it spun back in this dream and I saw this forest as far as the eye can see. And he said, but that is your eternal life. And I'm like, well, that's my life and that's my eternal life. You mean that leaf represents the 80, 90 years I'll have on this earth. But that represents how long I'll live and the adventures I'm yet to have. And all the things I'll experience and all the places I'll go. That's my time on earth but that's my eternity. And I sat there. When I woke up thinking about the dream, well, divide that leaf by 90. And then divide that 90 by 365. Then take one of those 365s and cut it down to 24. And take that 24 and cut it down to 60. And you've got the minute that you're living in right now with all the mountains that you're worried about. And all the things that you think are so important. And you realize it's a speck in eternity. Stop worrying about this month's bill. God is your provider. Stop worrying about last year's problems. God has gone ahead of you. He stands in tomorrow beckoning you forward. Having already provided everything you need. We don't own tomorrow, but he owns tomorrow. He stood there saying, walk forward. And one day we'll realize, you know, all those things I worried about, they were tiny. And the vast majority never came to pass anyway. But God, Jesus, listen, when you've been there 10,000 years, bright shining like the sun, you'll still have no less days to sing his praise than when you first begun. I'd love to think the last three years has been the hardest of my 46 years on this life. Who cares? I'm God's child. I'm going forward in him. I'm concentrating on the victories. I'm concentrating with positivity that my God is for me. And in fact, every bit of suffering that comes my way is going to make me more Christ-like, more better. Is that a word? More better, not more bitter. I'm going to be stronger in God. Positivity and perseverance. Can I say this nicely? If you're a grumbler, there's a really... There's, I've got a Bible study on this. You ready for it? There's a really deep thing from the book of Leviticus that you can do with grumbling. In the original language, it means this. Stop it. <laughs> Just stop it. Why? You're poisoning yourself. 
And, you know, the quickest route to, you know, this is what we all want to do, really, because I can grumble. Anybody here grumble? Anybody without their hand raised is a liar as well. So now we've got a problem, haven't we? have a repentance line at the end. And sometimes I've got to look at myself and go, Cooper, shut up. Have faith. If Abraham could look at his barren wife and know that the promise was all about children. I mean, either God was tormenting him or he was about to come up with some great miracle. The whole promise was about children and they were barren. Can you imagine Abraham, God, do you know how old I am? Do you know how old she is? Do you know the last time that we... No, you don't go there. But, you know, it goes on because the promise through the line is about children. So Abraham's wife was barren, but Isaac's wife was barren too. And Jacob's wife was barren too. And Samuel's mum was barren. And Samson's mum was barren. And John the Baptist's mum was barren. Whenever it's about kids, God guarantees that out of your barrenness, I'm going to bring a miracle. I'm going to bring a miracle in the very thing you can't do. That's why you're going to be able to rejoice and go, God did it. God did it. God did it. Because actually your barrenness is your qualification for a move of God in your life. Every one of us is supposed to be barren in some area where God says you're going to bring forth life. And we're supposed to stand there going, that's impossible. And then we adopt the posture of perseverance and the posture of positivity. And the last one, the posture of power. Saying, God, only your power can do it. Zechariah says, not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. In other words, not by your human power, but by my spiritual power, I'll do a work in your life. And in fact, that's all about the building of a temple and how they were struggling and how it was difficult. And, and if he said, don't despise the small things going on because you're not living in the fullness of your dream. Because not by human power, nor by might, but by my spirit, there will come a day, the scripture goes on to say, when you will put the capstone on the top of the temple and say, grace did it, grace did it, God did it. We couldn't do it, but God did it. Glory be to the King of kings. He did it by his power. And out of our barrenness comes a work of God that only he can do. Perseverance, positivity, and the power of God is the only way for us to walk as communities into the fullness of all that he has for us. Let the power of God be in our lives today. A woman in our church broke her back. She was extreme, in extreme pain for six and a half years. Her, her husband is high up in the pharmaceutical industry, so she had the best that medical science could do for her. Then one day after six and a half years of sorrow and difficulty in marriage and at home, they got four kids, a busy life, and she can hardly walk. And then one day, I remember it vividly, after six and a half years of weeping with this family, and then the time, the moment came in a little meeting. I remember God's word came, and just some of us reached out our hands to pray for this woman. And for the first time, I heard the Spirit of God say, the power of the Lord was present to heal the sick. Well, she went down on the floor, which worried me, because she had a bad back. That was half the problem. And she lay there and her husband said, are you okay? You shouldn't have fallen like that. And she lay there going, I can't feel a thing. And after six and a half years of not just pain, but agony, she said, I can't feel anything. They got in the car and they're driving back home and normally he has to avoid every speed bump and pothole along the way. And she's going, no, 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 try and hit another one, try and hit another one. And she's wiggling her bum in the passenger seat. I can't feel a thing, I can't feel a thing. I, I, 
I think, I think then that turned into, I know, I'm healed. After six and a half years, she's healed. That week she books a skip and she starts to tidy the house because you know what men tidy houses like? For six and a half years, it needed a tidy. So she got a skip out. She cleaned the place up and now she's a woman of God moving in the things of God because the power of God came to do what no man could do. There is a moment of destined power when God leads us through. I tell you, he's doing something. God did something in her life that changed her along the way. Just like if you read Amanda Vati's story, she'd say, you know what? In those nine years, something happened in me that the suffering made Christ in me. Sandra, this woman who broke her back, she would tell you, I'm a different woman, not just because my back is healed, but something changed in here through the pain I went through. Churches go through pain. In the case of my church, it's grown us up as a church. We're a different place. Can you say the same about you? Can you go through difficulty and suddenly God, God just establishes Christ in us. We can't avoid suffering in this earth. I know that makes a great fridge magnet, doesn't it? Let me guarantee you something. You'll be persecuted and suffer. Oh, put it on the fridge. Lovely. But when we do suffer, don't be surprised at this fiery trial that you enter. The epistles tells us. When we do suffer, God's making us like Christ. Why? Because there's a greater destiny than our former strength could cope with. So everything we face is bringing strength out of us. Adjust your posture. Would you stand with me in this place this morning? Adjust. Close your eyes prayerfully for a moment as we finish. Maybe the band would get in place while we're doing this. But everyone else, close your eyes. And I want us to sing Cornerstone this morning again if we can. Close your eyes. Let's be prayerful for a minute. I want you to commit to persevere. We've been quite a few years on our building journey. I remember at one point I spoke to the church and, and we, we, we stood together and we made some commitments that whatever the twists and turns were, we were going to go forward in God through this journey. And at times it felt like you left Egypt, you haven't entered the promised land, you're in that in-betweeny bit. You know what I mean? I said, but guys, whatever the twists and turns were, and I asked people to walk forward. I'm not going to ask you to do that for this today, but I asked people to walk forward to pledge this solidarity to walk together in our journey. And one of our girls, in fact, it's the daughter of the woman who broke her back. She'd broken her foot. What a family, eh? She'd broken her foot. And without thinking, she got up and she's walking forward without her crutches, with just her pot on. You call it a pot, a plaster of Paris. And as she walked forward, she was completely healed. And it was just a group of us saying, God, would you heal our walk together? A posture of perseverance. Just adjust in your heart this morning, wherever you're at. I don't know where you're at. It might be for something extremely personal. I know people have been going through great difficulty in their own personal lives across the country the last few years. Say this, God, I'm going to persevere. I'm going to persevere. You are, you are for me. I'm going to persevere. I refuse to give up. Quit is not going to be on my vocabulary. I'm only going to stop things when you say to stop things. I'm going to persevere. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'm going to persevere into all that you have for me. And second, a posture of positivity. Say this to yourself, I'm going to be a positive person. I'm going to, I'm going to speak the truth of God's word. I'm not going to be a grumbler. 
I'm not going to grumble about myself or even overly worry about my own level of spirituality. I'm going to start blessing God that I'm grace-filled and blessed and loved. I'm going to not live in cycles of shame and guilt. I'm going to let the blessing of God rest on me because God is for me, not against me. I'm going to make my mouth be positive and for the things and the people of God. My temple is going to face the rising sun. My eyes are going to face the light of heaven, not the dark of sorrow or grief or doubt or anxiety. I'm going to let the eyes of my heart soak in the goodness of heaven. I'm going to get out of the hold and tie my life to the bowsprit. I'm going to have an adventure in 2017. I'm going to have an adventure in 2017. In Jesus' name. And finally, as we close, the posture of the power of God in our lives. I believe this morning, I want to pray that the power of God would flood your life. The presence of the Holy Spirit would be with you in a fresh new way for 2017. If anything that I've been sharing has touched your heart in some way, the posture of perseverance Adjusting to the posture of positivity and faith. Adjusting our lives to say, God, I want to live in the place of your power. Your Holy Spirit is the one that fulfills dreams and brings things about. Not by might, not by power, but by your Spirit, God. That's where I want to live. If any of those things have touched your heart in some way, I want you to come out from where you are and stand at the front here. And as we sing, we're going to ask the presence of God to come and flood our lives. We're going to ask for faith from heaven to be birthed in our hearts afresh for the year ahead. There's someone here worried about their kids. Come out and place those before God this morning. Begin to step out of your place if you want to respond to this. I don't mind if it's three of you or 30 of you. I really don't care. Come out of your place and stand here. And let's ask the presence of God to flood us. Let's ask God to adjust our posture. Say, God, I want to walk in strength in the coming year. I want to walk in hope in the coming year. I want to walk in your power. If you're sick and you're saying, God, I want to place myself in the place of your healing, walk out of your seat, come stand at the front and say, God, come and heal me. I'm trusting you for my healing. If you've been discouraged, if you're suffering from depression, come out and say, God, I want to tie myself to the bowsprit. I want to confess, I will not let sickness become my identity. You are my healer. That is my identity. Please come right forward and spread to the side so you're not gathered up the aisle. That's it. Come right through. Spread across the front. Wherever you are, just put your hands out before you right now and let the presence of God begin to fill you. Here he is, the power of God. In Jesus' name, I speak the power of God over your life. I speak the power of God over your ministry. I speak the power of God. For any that are in postures of brokenness, I whisper to you encouragement right now in Jesus' name. Stand up and be bold. Don't stay there. Stand up and be bold. Men, women of God, live the adventure he's called you to live.